Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me, Mona Rowan. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. I had better plays. I know. I know. But here you are smiling and looking beautiful and still taking life by storm day by day. I am. You really are. And it's so interesting how we've met. You know, you reached out to me because you're a professor at Stonehill, Mm -hmm. which Stonehill holds a very, very special place in my heart, near and dear. And you started telling me about your story. And I was like, hold on a second. I'm like, we've got to get you on the podcast to really share everything about who you are because you're amazing. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you my my first question, Mona, Mm -hmm. which I love to start with because it's really the baseline of of everything, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? Just like you talk about how you felt the need to develop, to make your dream come through, you thought of something. Even though I had gotten shot during the war, Civil War in Lebanon, 1976, uh, I had a dream of succeeding in life. And despite all the problem mm-hmm. and all the operations I had to have, Never once did I say, okay, I give up now, I can't do it, or or I had enough of life. In fact, the more problem I had, the more I felt I need to push. And when I got married and I had two children, I had to be the role model for them. Mm-hmm. And I pushed even more. And then after the children, it became the student. Mm-hmm. I had to be the role model for them. And so on and so forth, and I felt if I give up now, I would be a loser, not a role model. Mm-hmm. So that's what pushed me. That's amazing. The man. people, I felt like I made a difference in a lot of people's lives. Amen, amen. Yep. And, you, and you mentioned you grew up in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Yep. During the Civil War. Right. Oh my God. So what was that experience like? A lot of people know Lebanon was always called the Paris of the Middle East, you know. Mm-hmm. One of the most highly educated people in the world. Most people speak three languages. Uh, we believe highly in education. It's a beautiful country. You could go skiing and swimming within a half hour. And uh, the alphabet were born there, which is something I'm very proud to teach since I teach Arabic. Mm. And French and Spanish, I thought, as well. But the last year, I was only teaching, I was the head of the Arabic department at Stonehill. So, yeah, I teach them the word alphabet is an Arabic word. The alpha for aleph, which is an A in Arabic, ba is a B, and t is a T. So, in Arabic, is ABT, not ABC, and that's why oh. it's called the alphabet. So, yeah, and I tell them, you know, the whole story behind it, how it came about. So I was always intrigued by languages and um, coming from a background where language was stressed 
from kindergarten. I went mm. to a Catholic school. I felt like I had to uh, pursue my dream in that. So when I came to America, I felt like uh, there was definitely a use for it. So that's how I continued my education. But life in Lebanon was beautiful, but you had asked me the question about what happened in 1976. There was a very mad, crazy war between Christian and Muslim, and there were an invasion on the Israeli border by PLO. And, uh, you know, people were killed for being Christian, and I was wow. among those people. Wow. In fact, they killed my brother and my sister, so I suffered a lot. And that's how I ended up in the U.S. Uh, my dad and I came here for a second opinion to the doctors at Mass General. They told me you have two choices. You either go back home or you're going to become the guinea pig because they haven't seen a case like mine ever. Oh my God. So when the doctor told me that, I was like, no way. I came all the way here to, to hear that. I said, yep. I'm telling you the truth. So what happened, Mona, during that? What actually happened? Yes. Well, I lived in a beautiful Christian town. It was all Christian. As I understand, it was starting to get very political between Christian and Muslim. So my town had like a, a checkpoint by the army. Uh, a lot of the Muslim uh, Palestinians that were coming from the Israeli border were uh, transferring weapons through our town. So they were getting stopped by the army. And to get rid of the army, of being checked, somehow there was a big conspiracy over our town to wipe it off the map. Your so, town, the Christian yeah, town. Yeah, our Christian town. Oh my goodness. So they could get their way. So one night we were sleeping in our beds, like nothing like a regular, and we could hear Allahu Akbar, which means God is great by these monsters. Oh and God. they just threw bombs on the, on the door, came in the house, killed my brother, my sister, and shot me in the face. I go like this. I got shot here. My head fell on the ground. Oh, my face my fell on the ground, and I was gone on the ground. They kidnapped my dad. My brother and my mom got shot too. They were oh, later on taken by the army and me. And I, I can't even talk about it. it. It hurts so bad. I'm writing a book right now oh, about my, my life. It's been, it's been a lot of struggle, but it's a lot of success between the struggle, which. I have to give some credit to, and if it wasn't for my struggle and my strong personality and the love of my Christianity, I wouldn't be what I am today. So I had very good memories in Lebanon, but very bad memories that cost me my life almost, all because of wrong politicians running the country the wrong way. And now when I talk to people in America, about the importance of protecting the border. Because that happened to me because we had open border. Mm. Everybody should be given the opportunity, like me and you, to come here legally and work hard and love right. America. But when we come, we have an agenda in mind that's not good. 
Right. That's that's a lesson. I spoke I spoke openly about it, and that thing in Capitol Hill. How open borders could cost you the yes. country, your life, your children, your parents. I mean, I'm talking from experience. I had nothing to do with politics, like with with Democrat or Republican. It has to do with the actual fact. I mean, any anyone can say, "Come on," or this or that, or or don't talk about this race or that. Like, hey, hello, it happened to me. I've been suffering for 45 years. Don't tell me what to do. Right. What's that? Right, and you didn't do anything wrong. Nothing. You were sleeping in bed, and that yeah. just. That's right. I am so sorry that happened, Mona. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. I didn't know the extent yeah. of it. I know you mentioned oh, that there was huge, horrible it, things, it, but I didn't my know. My heart hurts, and and I pray for those people. I pray for peace in the world. That a lot of people just take for granted the daily life, they're having a you know beautiful home, good food to eat, and all that. But in the spirit of a moment, all that can be taken away from you because of an ideology or a political agenda. Mm. And I would argue with the strongest, most powerful politician on that. And I wouldn't give a damn what they think. Mm -hmm. Because you're not going to tell me because you read somewhere in a book or you grew up with the household where they believed in one party or one way that I'm hurting wow. head to toe. You're going to tell me? No, thank you. Right, right. Well, that's the reason why the United States is, is the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. It's freedom of speech, freedom exactly. of religion, freedom of, yeah. freedom of everything. And yeah. that's the beauty of it here. Exactly. I mean, like, a lot of people don't realize how blessed we are here yeah. because look at what happens overseas. Exactly. Just over political views. And yeah. religious views. Yeah. And it's still going on. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, it's going on all over the world. And and I, I, I could relate to everybody, everybody I encounter, whether they're American or not, but when they hear my story, they have a whole mindset. They're like, you know, I never thought of it that way. Right. It's true. It, it is true. You know, you have to hear it from the horse's mouth. Absolutely. You know, you think I'm happy at the peak of my dream at the age of 19, ready to go to college, start a life, and boom, I wake up with this, with nothing. Start. The first time after I had my first surgery in Lebanon, when the nurse walked me to, to the bathroom, I was in bed after the surgery for like weeks and weeks. First time I got out of bed, looked in the mirror, I fell to the ground. I couldn't believe the beautiful Mona that I know that every guy wanted to go out with looked so bad. I fell to the ground. I was like, that's not, I can't live like that. Give me a shot, I told the doctor. Yeah? Wow. No one would understand. People can bullshit you all day they want with their political agenda on TV. But come and talk to me. I'll be willing to talk to Biden, to anybody. Nobody's going to tell me otherwise. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank God that you were able to come here and have yeah. like a second chance to almost restart, you know, and right. get out of all of that, Yeah, which is yeah. amazing. And so after you and your dad yeah. came here, how did the story start from, from that moment? From that moment, my dad has three uncles. 
Uh, one of them stayed with my grandfather in Lebanon. The two other uncles immigrated to the U.S. That was over a hundred years ago or more. And they all settled pretty much in New England, and uh, some of them in Michigan moved after. So I have relatives here that were American-born, and when my dad told them, Mona's going to need surgery, my aunt was so good to me in Rhode Island. And she said, honey, you can stay with me. I'll take you to the doctor. I was so thankful. So after uh, 10 months, uh, my parents came back, and they were going to just stay temporary till I finished my surgery. But things got worse, we hired a lawyer to stay here. We stayed on political asylum, under mm -hmm. political asylum purposes, because they had the proof that my brother and sister got killed, I got shot. We lost our home, they bombed it. So the whole nine yards, so on that base, we waited four years with all, and then we all started going to school and bought a house after four years. We had all the proof that we could support, we're not gonna be on public assistance, and my aunt, was right there for us. Uh, you know, we rented a house from her in the beginning. So we all worked hard to make ends meet and, you know, do a good job at, at surviving. I have a, another brother and sister. My brother is an engineer and my sister is a fashion designer. And my mom is a seamstress, excellent. She did that for a living. When I was in college, she used to make brochure to do alteration and dresses, and I would put them in all the professors' mailbox. <laughs> and That's before awesome. you know it, everybody knew Anna. They were all coming to her. It was amazing. Wow. So yeah, we, we struggled, but we made it, and we all got educated. But, you know, even though we did okay, there was always Mona in the background that is going through hell every year or two with more surgery, more uncertainty. And until now, until May 12th of last year, uh, I almost died. I had a heart attack during surgery. Yeah, stress is part of it too. So you get to a point uh, where life trouble and life stress and more surgery and everything in between that I don't even want to talk about gets to you. It just right. gets to you to a point where you could only take so much. And that was the cause of the whole problem, the heart right. attack, which led to all the injured uh, vocal cord. And here I am now just going back and forth to the doctor, trying to fix the problem. And like I told you before, the big thing was uh, they all want to do a tracheostomy, which is driving me totally out of my mind because the breathing issue, before that it was even worse, after the hospital, mm. like I want to say June, July, August, September were the toughest. To, I lost 27 pounds, and then it was like anything I ate went through the the windpipe, Ow. it would stop, oh, it would be good, and that stop eating. My oh, husband my said, gosh. you gotta eat, I said, but I can't eat, because those those damn vocal cords were, were oh, like damaged, damaged and right. the food was going in the wrong pipe. And it was three weeks that you were in a coma after you three went into in a coma. That's crazy. Three weeks in a coma, I don't know what's gonna happen. So yeah, it's been uh, a tough, 
I've seen it all, I've done it all. And in fact, I tell my students all the time, you think having an assignment or a homework, don't cry over that. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, they love me, they're great kids. One thing I know about Skullhead is my students appreciate me so much. Mm-hmm. And it also, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a very tough road, but I'm thankful for what I have accomplished. I'm thankful for having a, a good marriage. My husband is a peach. I'm very happy with my husband. And I have two good kids that have done well. I tried my best to instill a lot of, a lot of good things in them. And they watched me suffer all these years and, and yeah. they know the value of good health. Oh yeah. And I always tell them like, they really are into sport and Especially Mia in the gym all the time, and Andrew's very active. They both ski, water ski, they do all kinds of stuff, and they eat the good food. So, yeah, you know what? Like I said before, you only take your reputation with you. Absolutely. A lot of people in this world that can say that they, they, they've done the wrong things or they regret doing whatever they did. In my mind, I'm, my mind is clear. I feel clean, I feel good. Mm-hmm. The rest is, it's like you get to a point where you, you got no choice but to accept it and go from there. There's nothing I can do about it. Absolutely, yeah. but you keep pushing every single day. And you mentioned that you got into education. Mm-hmm. And then, so how did you get to becoming a professor at Stonehill? Because you were, you were teaching Arabic, right? Yeah. but. Lebanon is well known all over the world for its language environment. Like, you talk to anybody in Lebanon in French, they talk to you back. English, talk to you. Arabic, those three, those are the three main languages. So when you're in Lebanon, especially me, I went to a French Catholic school. We got educated in French, even Mm. though we speak Arabic. Arabic is not... Uh, nationality. It's the language. Language. Yep. Like a lot of kids say he's an Arab. I said, hold on. I gotta correct you. Arabic is a language. It's yes. not a nationality. I'm Lebanese, but I speak Speak Arabic. Arabic. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, you correct them that way. They, they don't really know. And because by the time I was in eighth grade, I started English. And by the time I graduated college, I mean high school, I was already French, English, and Arabic. Wow. Three languages. Three languages. Wow. And when you learn one, you pick up the rest easily. Your mind becomes like a sponge. And a lot of the English language, uh, the English word, originated really from French, so I could relate to it. And then I took Spanish here in college. So Spanish was a combination of the French and the English and the Arabic. I went, like, picked it up like that. It was so easy for me to so pick up. Cool. Yeah, so I did that. And because of my love for languages, when I came to America, and then after two, three years of surgery, I said to my parents, this is it. We're going to stick with the plan. My mother said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going now to register. I took my TOEFL exam. This is for international students. I passed it. I aced it. And I went down. I applied, I got in. I still remember, I used to have a tube. The first year I had a tube in my nose. I had some issues with surgery and I said, I don't care what people say. If they stare at me, I'm doing it. 
I went down to Powers. I resisted. I got in. So I said, I talked to my advisor and he said, you have a lot for languages. I think languages would be good. So I started uh, friends and, uh, and Spanish, which I already knew friends, but I was getting all A's because I passed every exam. I knew it real well. <laughs> Spanish was a little bit less because it was new to me. And then, uh, so I got my first bachelor's degree. My second bachelor was in public relations because I love people. I love talking. I love writing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I graduated with honor. I got a job at Rhode Island Hospital working as a data manager because back then in the 80s, the economy was so bad, around 84, 82, something like that. I took what I could find. So I did that and I was, they found out I'm fluent in language. I said, you want to also be a translator at the hospital? I said, yeah. So I did that. Wow. So I was translating in French and Arabic wow. for a lot of patients from Canada, from the Middle East. Wow. So I worked there for a long time. My boss was so good to me, Dr. Wheel, and I never forget him. He said, Mona, you're a, you're a good addition to our oncology department. If you have to go for surgery, it doesn't matter how long, how far you stay away, you own it. We love you here. Take care of your health. I was like, oh my God. He came to my wedding. He oh. came to my wedding. Some bosses are amazing. Oh yeah. Unlike some other bosses, they're not. But this man was a good person. So I, you know, I dealt with it. And then 9-11 happened. And I, I was getting all these messages. I belonged to a group of educator at one time, but I wasn't really involved. But I was hearing about people, universities hiring uh, Arabic professors, and they didn't have enough. And I'm like, wait a minute, I contacted this group that I used to go to meetings to, and they go, yeah, there's a big need they can't find. So I went back for my master's degree while working at the hospital. Wow. I got a master's degree in uh, foreign languages as well as Middle Eastern culture, Middle Eastern, you know, studies. And then before I was even done, uh, everywhere I applied, I got hired. I was like, yay! So my first job was at Quincy College. Wow. In Quincy. I taught French, Arabic, and Spanish. Wow. The three languages I taught. For four years I was there. And then I didn't want to drive to Quincy, even though it's not that far. A position opened at Wheaton College, which is 10 minutes away from here. And and I applied. They took me right away and said, we're desperate for an Arabic professor. Wow. So, yeah, I, I taught there for about eight years. And then we had, we had a partnership with Stonehill. They liked me so much. I, you know, what happened was, there was, there was another opening at Stonehill. I was only teaching three days at Wheaton. Mm. And Stonehill had two days. So I took that. And I was between Wheaton and Stonehill. And Stonehill heard how good I was at Wheaton. So Maria Curran, one of the provo uh, provosts back then, assistant provost, said, we're thinking about joining in and prove the enrollment between the two schools. So I said, like, wow, Mona, would you do that? I said, of course I would. 
So we did that, we did the partnership. So Scott Hill paid half of my salary and we paid the other half. And I got all the benefit and I was making double the money. Wow. And uh, I was so happy and we did that. And then there was an issue with the transportation because we were holding class together mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff like that. And Stonehill enrollment was, was really, really growing. So ended up leaving Wheaton and staying with Stonehill and I became the Arabic director of the whole program and the enrollment continued. And I, and I was there from 2013 last year. Mm-hmm. And that's how it all happened. That's amazing. Oh my God, what a journey, my goodness. And you have a love for linguistics, which I love. I really, really do. And I mean, when it comes to all of these cultures, like, because I know, you know, every culture has its own like story and and that kind of thing. What's like your favorite one or like a story that you would tell to your students like all the time? You know, every opportunity you can think of to explore other people's culture, whether it's a study abroad or having a friend from a different country, go for it. Don't hesitate. Don't say, oh, but but I'm not comfortable. Or don't say, oh, Jack, I don't like that food or I don't like the way this person dressed. I always say, just because you assume something, you would look much more stupid if you assume. But if you tell the person you're with about, hey, could you invite me about your culture? I, I don't need to know. Now you look, you don't look dumb. You look smart mm-hmm. because you are not just assuming. Yeah. You're finding out. And I tell them that all the time in my classes. And I say, it doesn't make you stupid if you, if you didn't know about that person. Right. Especially if it's a country where you hear on the news, it's either all uh, negative uh, even my own homeland country. I mean, my God, if you ever go to Lebanon, my own husband, you would not believe this is, people think of the Middle East of like, you know what I was asked when I was in college the first time? My mom is a fashion designer. I would always dress elegant, right? I go in there and some of my colleagues said to me, do you guys have dining room tables in Lebanon or do you eat on the floor? And then another person said, do you dress up like that in Lebanon? I said, no, better than that. Oh I was my so gosh. mad. Wow. Like they assume Middle East, desert, and camels. They have no clue. Right. I mean, the Lebanese dress up to kill anybody that knows Lebanese. Like, yeah. And they're highly educated. But the average person doesn't know. hear a few things on the news, trouble or whatever, and they hold on to that. Mm-hmm. without letting other people tell them about their country. So I say to them, every opportunity you have to meet people from different cultures or go on an internship or do whatever you have to do, go for it. I love that, Mona. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And I mean, th- this question is always my favorite and it's mm-hmm. that I always leave it at the end because it's always the best for last, right? Yeah. But now, what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now in your life experience? Absolutely. I learned that if you have a goal in life, don't let anything happen to you destroy it. Mm-hmm. Don't let anything. Because you know what? 
with the with the good willpower and the good effort to make the dream come true. They always will. In my case, I was interrupted by surgery. You know, I've had events in my life that were unfair, and this is what it is, unfair. You know, you get hurt because you're a Christian. Right. I mean, what have I done to you? I don't know you. Right. You know, come to my house and shoot me because you have a political agenda. These people are animals. Right. They don't, even animal is too kind. That's why I'm totally against open border. I'm totally against assuming about people. We don't know who's who, what's in their heart. And why they believe. They, why they believe what they believe or, or what happened to them. You are not in their shoes. I always try to understand people and listen to their stories before I make an assumption. Absolutely. So important, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, Mona, you're so inspiring. And I want to thank you for sharing all of that yeah. in your life story. And just, but, you know, like you said, there's been a lot of ups and there's been a lot of yeah. downs. And yeah. it's been your journey, but you've helped so many people. Yeah. You've opened so many eyes and you've affected so much change in so many people. So yeah. I just want to thank you so much for being here today and sharing your thank story. You. I'm so glad we met through Stone <laughs> So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is overtime, working like some underdogs. underdogs, underdogs.